Okay, everybody. I want to post a video on Instagram as well about this subject, but uh, obviously that's only six minutes, not six minutes, 60 seconds that you could do on there. So I thought I would go a little bit more in depth on the explanation of this topic because my Instagram has been blowing up with questions and I essentially I can't keep up. I can't keep up with all the questions. I've just been sending voice notes to a bunch of people, but hopefully this will kind of, you know, this is just one of the questions that I've been getting and hopefully this will kind of explain uh, more in depth. I like to break things down scientifically, but in a simple way. So anybody, whether you work in healthcare or you work in finance or you work with the law or you work with education, anything, whatever, whatever you work with, if you're a content creator, anything that you do, you'll be able to understand because a lot of people can't really understand when I talk about, you know, neuroplasticity and all of these certain words, a lot of people just don't understand, which I don't blame you because if you talk about mortgage refinancing, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. So let me just explain. So I wanted to talk about the difference between psilocybin and antidepressants. Simply, I'm just going to put it like, I, I just want to say it simply. I want to say it to where people can understand. So let's talk about antidepressants first. This is probably going to be the quickest ep- or podcast episode that I have. Go figure. So <laughs> antidepressants is a medication that's prescribed to you after you are diagnosed with depression, right? So let's even back up, let's back up even further. Let me see if I could go outside. I don't think it's going to be too loud. So going further into or back more, what is depression? What are, what constitutes a person in having depression? So you have depressive thoughts. It's affecting your day to day. Um, you go in and you tell a doctor that you've been feeling really sad. Uh, it's affecting your day. You can't really, you know, you stop eating or you're eating too much. You can't focus on work. You can't do certain things. You just feel blah. You feel in a sad mood, okay? So that depression, we're not even going to talk about the medications yet. That depression was triggered by something, right? So from the time you were born, your brain has started working and anything that happened that was new in your life, anything that was substantial, like the first time that you ate food, the first time that you learned how to pee on a toilet, the first time that you saw yourself in the mirror, the first time that you swam, all these different monumental, they they don't seem too monumental, but they're monumental to a baby because you've never experienced them before. Those events caused your brain to connect certain little pathways. So your brain is this computer, right? Your brain is a computer. Your brain is anytime that you put something, you experience something or you create something in the computer, you save it into the hard drive. You save it on a file and it goes into the hard drive. I think it's either hard drive or software, no, hard drive, I guess, you save it into the filing cabinet, which is your brain. Each file is a neuro circuit. It's a neural circuit. 
Neurocircuits mean that there's little parts in your brain that whenever you experience something that triggers that event again, say you want it, you learn how to swim, your brain taught you how to do that. You, you taught yourself how to do it, somebody taught you how to do it, and then your brain is now saving that. So now you know how to swim. So next, when you go into the ocean, when you go to a pool the next time, you know how to do it. It's saved into the file. So when you go through any type of experience as a kid or even as an adult, anything that is monumental in a good way or a bad way, the majority of the time, everything is for in a good way, but we won't get into the whole spiritual aspect of it. But scientifically, anything that's bad, like a traumatic experience, um, and it doesn't have to be just one experience. It could be experiences that, that happened that triggered the same feeling or the same reaction. Let's say when you were a kid and you felt that your your parents weren't the most loving they weren't the most there for you because they had other stuff going on it's just it's a domino effect they had other stuff going on in their life and their parents probably treated them a certain way so that's the way that they knew how to react but you look at your parents you didn't seem too loved you didn't seem too like your parents weren't super lovey-dovey or maybe they were too over the top overprotective maybe your parents had alcohol issues maybe you and if you didn't have parents if you had foster care or if you anything these this is what some people would call traumatic experiences so your brain at an early age experienced something traumatic as whether if your parent was not loving if your parent was anything that that the human being we have our hierarchy of needs so you have you know shelter and food and all that stuff um love you need to be able to feel involved in a community you need to be able to feel accepted there's there's a hierarchy of needs if one of those needs was not met you're going to remember that your your brain is going to register that so and i'm saying this as far as like because i i experienced a very um i experienced a childhood where one of the parents wasn't the most super loving but that person didn't know how to it wasn't their fault because they didn't know how to because they weren't taught to as a kid but this is just my experience and that's how i could explain it so i learned that because i wasn't given a lot of uh, warmth and like hugs and that type of love i didn't know how to do that i didn't know how to do that to other people and also i was another parent i was always trying to please them because they were very uh i needed to show them that i was good enough and that's where the validation aspect came in but all of these things that happened as i was a kid my brain registered these events it registered them and it took them and it put them into a file so that created a neural network in my brain. Now these connections in my brain are now hardwired. They say that the first seven years of your life are super important because that's when your brain is doing the most activity. 
it's creating the most connections, uh, but your brain is still always creating connections. So I don't even know if it's really one to seven because you could be in your teens and fucking be creating crazy connections. But it's every time that something major happens, whether you learn how to play an instrument, that's a big thing because you never knew, you've never known how to do it. When you learn, I don't know, how to play any type of game, if you learn how to draw, if you learn how to speak another language, these are things that happen that your brain is registering. So when it comes to emotional aspects and depression, your brain, wherever it was in your life, caused you to have this certain way of thinking that you have... It was either when you were a kid, it could have very well happened when you were a kid and as you're an adult. Maybe you go through a severe breakup as an adult or as a teenager, whatever it is. And it really just gets you, you don't know how much it affects you. Because usually when we're kids, we're just super sad. But there's it's triggering something in your pre-programmed brain that you were programmed when you were a kid that's causing you to think in these certain ways. And it's it's causing this repetition and this continuous loop of negative, sad, depressed thoughts. And you don't know how to get out of it. So you just think you don't have any other, any other light at the end of the tunnel that's showing you, hey, you don't have to think this way because your brain is pre-programmed. It has those files already made up. Because maybe something, we don't know. We can't go back to everybody's childhood. You might not even know. That's what therapy is usually for is they they sit and talk with you for years and they try and break down, you know, they try and get down to your childhood and why you're feeling the way that you're feeling. Sorry, I just need some water. Um, Every time I talk, you know, like I don't talk that much. So, but I do talk because I have a fucking podcast. Um, so this is the way that your brain has been trained to think. It's a fascinating thing, but it's also could be the worst enemy right now because you are in a loop of depressive thoughts. If your mom has depression, she has certain ways of thinking, you are going to, she has that energetic way about her growing up that you're around her, that you know what depression feels like. So you're basically learning it. You could learn it from your parents. You could learn it just from yourself, from not having, it's, it's, it breaks it down to when something traumatic happens. If you don't know, which you usually don't because you're a kid or you're just not trained to, if you don't know how to deal with that situation, you're going to hold on to it And it's going to be this neural connection in your brain that you have for the rest of your life unless you figure out how to handle it. And once you, that's what the therapy does again, is it it tells you how to handle these emotions, how to handle when things come up that trigger you to be sad or anxious or have these OC, the obsessive compulsive disorder, PTSD. Let's talk about PTSD. Real quick, it explains it easy. Somebody goes through a traumatic experience. A a person that's out at war goes through a traumatic experience. A girl or a guy gets raped by somebody. One of their family members, somebody, a random person gets raped. That's a traumatic experience that we're not taught how to handle that. We're not taught how to handle people dying, being shot. 
if you're out and you you're in the army and your friend a friend that you have made an emotional bond with that person gets shot or killed in front of you that's a traumatic experience because we're not used to that that's not something that happens every day if you happen to get raped That's not something that happens every day. We're not taught how to handle that emotionally and physically register that into our body so it doesn't affect us. So these traumatic experiences, and it doesn't even have to be anything that severe. It could be something as far as an emotionally abusive relationship that you don't know how to handle that because we're not taught how to do that because not everybody knows how to handle that. So... When these experiences happen with this person with PTSD, it's post-traumatic stress disorder. So after the trauma has happened, that amount of stress that you felt in (coughs) in the traumatic experience is become, sorry, I was throwing up the other day (coughs) because I drank alcohol and I never drink alcohol and I feel like my throat is like still feeling it. The traumatic stress that you have felt in that one experience with that traumatic uh, disorder or the, the traumatic experience, when you go through that, you have it embedded in your head that it's a traumatic, you don't, your brain doesn't know how to fucking register it. It doesn't know how to register it. So your brain is now going to hold on to that stress. And if anything triggers it, you can have memories. Our brain is really good at remembering the past. Or if it's traumatic, sometimes the brain doesn't remember it, but it subconsciously, it registers it into your body. When you hear a gunshot or something going on, this is such a simple way to explain it because it's just a lot of people understand because when the vets come home, it's a serious thing. It's hard for people to listen to fireworks when they've been, when it brings them back to a time when they heard gunshots and their friend was killed or they were shot at, these traumatic experiences. So it makes this stress, your body, your brain, chemically and physically remembers that time and it puts you back into that experience. So with depression, you have these certain set rules in your brain on how you react to things. You can have nothing depressive going on in your life. And that's the trickiest part is there is people who have depression They don't know why they have it, or they do. Maybe it was something that happened in the past, but they just never recovered from it. They never, they never figured out how to deal with it. So now it's, it's just gone on so long that these depressive thoughts have just come over and over and over and over that you now, your brain is so hardwired to think that way that it affects your being, it affects your body, it affects your sleep, it affects your neurochemistry. So it affects your, it decreases the serotonin. It makes you not want to take care of yourself. It makes you not want to do things that usually would boost the serotonin, would boost the dopamine, would boost the happy chemicals, the norepinephrine, the oxytocin. It would usually with depression, you don't want to do those things. And sometimes people even do those things, but they don't know it's, they're so hardwired in this thinking that even changing up the chemicals in the body is not going to change the way that you think. So antidepressants, 
What happens with these is it's a medication that you take that the only thing that, med that these antidepressants do, so let's go with SSRIs, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. So it is inhibiting, it's stopping the reuptake of serotonin. So when your body, you have serotonin going through your brain. So what happens, your brain releases serotonin or your stomach also, it's created, 90% of it's created in your gut. Uh, dopamine and serotonin, all of these things, they're, they're being released into these, I don't want to get scientific with it, but it's inside your brain. There's little synapses that go on between your different, um, between your different neural connections, between your different neural circuits. And when you have serotonin in your brain, you're feeling good, but then your body reuptakes it. Your brain it, it basically, it's like uh, recycling it. You, you release it and then you recycle it back up into the brain or, you know, back up to wherever it's stored. So the medication that you're taking an SSRI <clears throat> is inhibiting that reuptake. So your brain is now keeping a little bit more, it's keeping serotonin a little bit more in your brain for a longer period of time. So you feel better because serotonin does help with a relaxed mood. It helps you not really care about, you know, it helps with your stress to decrease your levels of stress. Dopamine is a reward center that's something completely different. Usually antidepressants are working on norepinephrine and your, your serotonin. SNRIs, they're serotonin norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors. So with that, your body is, once it's released the norepinephrine and the serotonin, this medication is inhibiting you, your brain, from reuptaking. So it's physically, it's physically making something happen. It's physically making your body not reuptake, not absorb that serotonin. So it stay in the norepinephrine. So it stays in your brain for longer. So you have those happier feelings, right? So when you don't take that medication. What's going to happen? Your brain is going to start reuptaking that serotonin. So, and also there's things with like, if your brain is, if you have serotonin that's sitting in your brain for a longer amount of time, your body is going to automatically think, okay, there's enough serotonin right there. I don't need to make any more. So when you stop taking the medication, your body is in that mode where I don't need to make any more serotonin. I don't need to make as much norepinephrine because it, this medication that I'm taking is allowing me to just hold on to it. So why do I need to make more? The body does that with testosterone. When people take too much testosterone, they're giving their body testosterone. So your body's going to be like, yo, I don't need to take it anymore. So it stops producing testosterone. Same thing goes with these medications. So when you don't take these antidepressants, this is why people get addicted to them. They, get, they feel like they can't get off of them because they, if they don't, then they start to feel sad, right? They, start, they don't have that serotonin that's just playing and sitting in that pool in their brain and the norepinephrine that's just sitting in a pool in their brain. They don't, they don't have that. And also with these chronic, you know, taking chronic antidepressants, you're going to have issues with your libido. It's one of the number one symptoms. 
Um, I think of uh, either Lexapro or I can't remember which one, but these type of medications are going to fuck with your sex drive because when you have too much released serotonin, you don't, serotonin isn't a sexy drug or a sexy, a sexy uh, neurotransmitter. It's a neurotransmitter that just makes you feel calm and chill and not really care about like the little things. Um, Prino Prozac has done stuff with like your libido, but your sex drive gets fucked up. You could get weight gain because serotonin, again, is a chemical that makes you feel relaxed. It makes you feel calm. So when you're feeling calm, do you want to go work out and exercise? No. Serotonin, when you, after you eat ecstasy, let's say, after you eat ecstasy and you have this like happiness because there's other chemicals going on with ecstasy, but afterwards you'll notice that when you eat food, it tastes so good because serotonin makes you feel after that flush, after the, the adrenaline of the ecstasy is gone, you just have this delicious, like you, anything that you put in your mouth just feels good. Excuse me. So you eat more with these antidepressants. Um, what's some other stuff? You could feel emotionally numb because when you have something that's consistently causing you to have serotonin be be just 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 sitting stagnant inside your brain, it's not being reuptaked. It's not being you know recycled. You're constantly going to have this feeling where you're going to understand after a while that feeling of calm and just kind of, uh, it's not going to be really happiness anymore because in order to feel happy, we have to understand what it's like to feel sad, right? We have to understand, we have to go through the ups and downs of daily life to be able to feel the adrenaline of something happening, to be able to spike in a different, where your serotonin drops and you feel something where that really pisses you off and then you... uh, and then it drops and then your serotonin can come back up because you feel safe again or like something happened. There's just, there's so many things that change our neurochemistry every single day. It's up and down. So when you're taking a medication that's consistently causing you to have this, this chemical sitting in your brain, you're not going to understand what it's like to not have that. So it's not going to be a happy chemical anymore. It's just going to be a, eh. it's just going to be like, a, oh, whatever. Like this is just my normal now. It's the same way if you were to say you've never tried a chocolate chip cookie before. Fuck, it's delicious, right? If you were to eat a chocolate chip cookie for the rest of your life, would it be special anymore? No, because you've had it already. So it doesn't do anything that's like, there's no specialness to it. There's nothing that's exciting about that chocolate chip cookie anymore because you know what it feels like every single day to eat it and chew it and taste it and consume it and then that's it. And then you shit it out. So these antidepressants are just causing you to have a chemical change in your brain. That's all it is. And when you're depressed or when you are, you know, PTSD causes depression. That's why they put you on antidepressants. Anxiety causes depression. So that's why they put you on antidepressants. It really shouldn't even be called an antidepressant. It should just be called a chemical changer. It's just, it's a serotonin changer and it's a norepinephrine changer. There's also M- MAOI drugs, but there's nobody really uses those anymore. So 
Here comes psilocybin. Psilocybin, the difference first off is you do not take this for the rest of your life. It is not something that you take every day for the rest of your life. And then if you get off of it, you feel funky. Psilocybin microdosing and macrodosing. I'll just explain the, chem- or the, the mechanism behind how it works on the brain and then you'll understand the difference. Ready? <coughs> Let me, I'm so sorry about this coughing. When you ingest psilocybin, <clears throat> it turns into psilocin. So you're, when you ingest it, your body, when it gets into your stomach, it turns into something called psilocin. That's the real um, the real chemical that's causing change. So the, first, the only similarities that are between psilocybin and antidepressants is it does affect your serotonin reuptake because your, the, the chemical structure of psilocybin and psilocin is almost identical to serotonin, which is pretty funny that we have something that's so close, right? It just makes you think like, oh, maybe I was meant to use this fungi, but, you know, evolutionary purposes. But anywho, it's very close to the chemical structure of that. So your body, it, it attaches to those, um, to those neurotransmitter receptor sites and it latches onto them. So you're feeling this, whenever anything latches onto that norepa or the, uh, the serotonin site, you're going to get that feeling of that serotonin. It's going to feel good. So you feel good, but the difference is now, there are, like I said earlier, when you're in a depressive thought, when you have depression, when you have any of these mental uh, situations going on, you have these, I remember I said a loop of thoughts. You have a loop of thinking, a pre-programmed way that you are going to think. So you're, there are certain networks in the brain. I've spoken, about it, I've spoken about it before. The default mode network. Your brain has used this way of thinking for so long, whether it's acute depression or whether it's chronic. You have used this way of thinking for so long that now your brain has put it into the autopilot default mode network because it knows how to use this. Anything that goes into the default mode network is something that you are good at doing, that you are good. You, you, can, you know how to drive to work because you've done it a million times. You know how to brush your teeth because you've done it hopefully a million times. You know how to floss your teeth. You know how to cook a certain breakfast that you know that you've done a million times. The default mode network, people will say it is your autopilot when you are driving to work or when you're driving home from work and you don't even know how you got home, that is your default mode network. That is your brain going, "Er, I need to turn myself off real quick. I'm just going to put myself in autopilot and then let's just, let's just take a look inside. Let's just be in here. So it's you doing anything. So let's think about it. (coughs) When you're in the default mode network, what you are doing while you're in that network, while you're doing this, the, the brushing of the teeth and the, anything that you're not focusing on, you're not putting, when I mean focus, I mean picking up the toothbrush, 
feeling the way it feels on your hand, feeling the way that it feels to squeeze the tube of toothpaste onto your toothbrush, and then brushing intentionally. Anything that you are not doing intentionally in the present, right here, right now moment is your default network. It is defaulted. You know how to do it. It's the default screen. When you put your phone into default, where you're just, it's got, it just, it, is that a real thing? Is it, it's like a, it's not a reset. It's like a, it's like factory mode. Like you just, your, your factory mode is turned on. You know everything going on. So you don't need to be focused. And when we go into this network, when it's turned on, which a lot of the times, the majority of your day, it is turned on, you are in your head. You are focusing on the stuff that you have been thinking about for the past however many years. You are going through those same networks, those same neuronal pathways that you've been using for the last, me, 30 years. For you, however old you are. How whenever that certain moment happened that you were having those feelings, those depressive thoughts, people with depression, they could be brushing their teeth, they could be walking around the mall, they could be doing anything and they had just driving in the air, they're having these thoughts that they don't even know they're having. They don't even understand that they're having them because they're so used to it. They're so used to looking at a tree or a dog or anything that usually people would look at somebody that's, that's in the present moment and be like, wow, that's beautiful. They're looking at it and they don't even think twice about looking at it. They don't look at it and think, wow, that's, that's gorgeous. Like, look at the colors on that. They just think, oh, it's a tree. And then they go back to their inner roommate, that inner thought that's going on in their brain. That is what they call the monkey mind. That is what they call the inner roommate. That is your default mode network. That is your normal way of thinking. It's the normal pathways that you have been using. I like to say, take a, take a picture of, put a picture in your head of you going down a, you have a big mountain, a big snow filled mountain. If you've ever gone snowboarding or snow, I mean, you, I, you'll get the picture. Think about the beginning of the day. People, there's somebody on a snowboard, they go down that mountain, they create a little bit of a trail, right? It's not a deep trail, but it's a trail. That could be in the beginning when you're a child. Your brain, oh, that's something new that happens, so it's creating a trail. That thing keeps happening, that traumatic experience or that way, that, that thought, that something, whatever, it keeps happening, you're going to keep going down that trail. Why would you go down any other trail? We are, we, are, we, are, we are beings that use the path of least resistance, right? So we are going to go down whatever trail is the easiest. And sometimes that depressive thought that you've been using your entire life or however many years you've been depressed, that's just easy to you because you know how to do it. You know how to be depressed. You don't know how to be happy. You don't know how to be appreciative of the fucking tree that's sitting outside, but you know how to be uh, self-deprecating, you know how to be, you know, self-doubtful, you know how to do it because you've been doing it for so long. You've been programmed how to think that way. You've been going down that same snow trail that for you to go over and try a different trail is scary. Why would you do that? 
your ego is just so comfy and sitting in that that trail that you're just going to keep going down it. So here's psilocybin. Psilocybin shuts off that trail that you've that 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 default mode network that that default trail that you've been using that thought process it shuts that off it forces you not in a not in a bad way in a beautiful way it forces you to use a different trail so people that have depression when they take this when they take psilocybin there are studies that just one dose has helped people change different ways that they think. So after doing a dose of a, a microdosing dose, or it's usually macrodosing is a big change because obviously it's a big, it's a macro dose. But microdosing, it's doing that too, that you're taking this every two to three days. You're taking this capsule. And it's shutting off that network that you are so used to, the, the anxious thoughts that you have when you get to work, when you wake up in the morning, the anxious thoughts that you have about the day, the, you know, uh, I, sh- I should just go to the same place, I'll go to Dunkin' and I'll just get the same fucking food, you know, and I, the food that you know that you're not supposed to be eating, but you're going to do it anyways because we are creatures that go the path of least resistance. Least resistance, did I say that right? That is what we are, we are good at doing that because you know how to do those things. You know how to be anxious. You know how to go and eat bad food because you've been doing it. You know how to feel depressed or sad. You know how to feel these certain thoughts. You know how to be obsessively, compulsively doing things because that's just what you've been doing. You're good at it. Microdosing helps you step away from that thing that you're really good at doing that's negative. And it helps you put yourself in a different thought pattern where you are now using different parts of your brain that are making new connections. And when you use the microdosing intentionally, there's lots of people who take mushrooms and do it for fun. And trust me, I get it. I used to do it all the time. I think that it is a, you know, either way your body is going to be creating, your brain's going to be creating new, new um, uh, neuronal pathways, new connections. That's what neuroplasticity is. But when you are doing it without intention... So remember when I said that intentionally, you, when you do things, if you're intentionally brushing your teeth, you are picking up the toothbrush, you don't have anything else going on in your head, your, your senses are taking over, your touch, your, I mean, you can't really smell the toothbrush, but you can smell the toothpaste, your, your eyes, your, your hearing, Everything is putting focus onto that one moment when you're holding that toothbrush, that tactile experience and putting that, that toothpaste on there, smelling that, the minty toothpaste and then putting it into your mouth, the taste of it, the feeling of it. When you are intentionally doing something, you are putting yourself in this moment right here and we are really, really bad at doing that because we are so good at being in our heads. We're so good at it. We are so good at thinking the way that we've been thinking for so long because it's just so fucking easy, right? We're so good at watching trash TV because that's what we've been doing our whole life. It's easy. It's safe. 
Microdosing takes you out of that little safety bubble and it makes you think in a different way. And when you go in with intention of really trying to figure out, you know, before you take the, the microdose, you... I mean, if anybody wants to experience this, I do integrative coaching with this, but, and I think it is monumental in a difference when you're just microdosing just to microdose and then you're going about your day. And then when you're doing an integrative experience where you're actually, before you take the microdose, you're writing down or thinking about, you're speaking out into existence, into your brain, you're speaking to yourself. This is what I want to learn. This is what I want to unlearn. I, I, I want to learn. I, I, it's basically, I mean, you don't want to say like, I want to learn how to be happy because we have happiness inside of us. You're just not used to feeling that. So the neuroplasticity aspect of psilocybin is it is shutting off this default mode network that your brain is so used to using. So then you shut that off. Your brain has to start making other connections. It has to start making other networks because your brain is alive. Your brain is moving. Your brain is doing things. It's, it's, as long as you're alive, your brain's fucking doing it. So your brain now is not going to go down that route of least resistance. It's going to make new routes. And with depression, you are not going, you're going to be shut off for a second on those depressive thoughts that you usually have or those anxious thoughts that you usually have. Anything that you take antidepressants for, it's going to stop that network and it's going to cause you to, and when you do it intentionally, whatever you are usually depressed about, whatever you are usually anxious about, you think about, and it makes you think in a different light. It, it, it takes the, the focus out of that, that mucky, sticky way of thinking that you're so used to, and it brings you onto a clean slate where you're able to think about. With people with PTSD, they use this because these guys are able to or in women, anybody that's gone through PTSD, they're able to look at the situation that they that that usually causes this stress and the, this traumatic stress that they're having, and they look at it in a different way. They're able to see this and think, "This is that you know, it's not that it happened for a reason, but there's other ways to think about this that don't cause me to be depressed." It's such a powerful experience. And the biggest thing is you don't have to take this every day. You don't take this for the rest of your life because you are literally causing your brain to create. You want to get scientific with it? There's dendrites on your your neurons that you have. There's things called dendrites. And those dendrites are the little tiny, you could, you could Google the picture, but they're little tiny uh, attachments that, that grow, these little tiny arms that grow off of the neuron. And when you are making new connections in your brain, those little neurons, those little legs are growing and growing and attaching to other neurons. So you're making little bridges of different connections. So all of those connections that you have in that one way of thinking, those depressive thoughts that you have, those neurons are all connected. Those are good. I mean, they, they're not good, but they are good as far as connected. They're connected. They've been connected for a very long time. They know what they're doing. You are shutting off those little connections and you are starting a whole new line of connections. That's what antidepressants don't do. 
And this is what psilocybin does. And this is why it's so powerful. And this is probably why Big Pharma doesn't want people to be taking psilocybin because you don't need to take, first off, it's a fungus. It's natural. You could fucking grow it yourself. It's really hard, but you could grow it yourself. It is illegal because you don't have to pay every day for the rest of your life to take a pill. That's what it is. Unfortunately, we live and it's not really not anybody's fault because we have just our country is in default mode network on the way that big pharma is. We've been ruled by big pharma. It brings money into the country. People, it's it just it keeps things moving. It keeps it keeps companies moving. It's just the way that it is. We've been using medications and pharmacies for as long as we can remember, as long as they've fucking, they, it, it boomed any type of medication. It's been around for a long time. And then usually we figure out a bad side effect and then they take it off of the market because it's all chemically lab made. A fungus, this, yes, it's a hallucinogen and technically mushroom psilocybin is, uh, I mean, it's poison. But the poison is what causes the hallucinations and the poison is what causes, poison is such a bad word for it. It's, it's, it's a, a chemical reaction that's happening in your brain and neuro, it's neurogenesis. It's like a neural connection that's happening in your brain that's caused from it that people would think it's poison, but it doesn't kill you. And this is the difference between these two. It's a detailed difference. I know I said that this is going to be shorter and it's really not, but it's such a big difference, right? Why would you want to take something that causes side effects? The only side effects of, of psilocybin are you get a little bit more energetic or if you take a big dose, then you could, you could feel nauseous. You could feel, I mean, but it's as with anything, as with any medication that you take for the first time, you could feel nauseous. It's just there's, there's so many crazy fucking differences between the two and it's so mind-boggling that it's not legalized yet, but it is what it is. Our country, like I said, is in default mode network on fucking the, the pharmaceutical companies. That's all we've known how to use. And we are, I just burp, sorry. We are in a time where things are changing. People are starting to realize like, yo, there's other ways of going about depression other than taking this medication. There's kids that I know that are my age that have been taking depression medication since they were in their teens. We don't need to do this. So those are the main, uh, well, 42 minutes, look at that. <laughs> so that's the main idea of the differences between the it's really just explaining everything, basically. I kind of just explained the main, the main ideas. But if any of you have any questions, please just message me on Instagram and I will I'll answer them. I love talking about this shit. You know, I get really passionate about it. It is the future. 1000% it's the future. And if it's not, then the fucking, I don't, the world is going to end or something. Like it's just, it is what it is. And it's crazy because you don't even need, you truly, truly, I hate forcing anything on anybody. You don't need psilocybin to get to this point, this point of shutting off that default mode network. Meditation does that. 
it does that. It puts you into a spot where you are super intentional. You are not thinking, you are shutting off the voices in your head and you're able to create new connections. But people don't know how to do that. They don't want to try it because they think it's impossible. So they want to take psilocybin because it's easier. Okay, fine. But if you don't want to do that, you don't need to. It's just harder for people when you're on depression medication and these things and you've just had these, this chronic depression, this chronic anxiety, this chronic OCD. I mean, that's why people are starting to do ketamine more because it's become legalized. It's just, it's hard, right? It's hard because everybody's story is so unbelievably different. So if you guys want to work with me, just let me know. Um, And yeah. Let me know if you have any questions. Thank you for tuning in for 44 minutes. Like I said, this was going to be one of my shortest ones, and it's definitely not. All right, you guys have a beautiful day, and I'll talk to you soon.